1: visiting a national park, let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show number 577. Do we still have our Maine music?
0: Maine is good. Maine is great. Maine has got to be my favorite state. There's no place I'd rather be
2: than M-A-I-N-E. Just our way of getting your attention as today marks our last chance to invite Talking Birds listeners in the great state of Maine and everybody else who can find their way to the beautiful town of Freeport to join us for next Sunday's live broadcast right by the Big Bean Boot at L.L. Bean's flagship store there in Freeport, Maine. We'll be there as part of the L.L. Bean Birding Festival presented in partnership with Maine Audubon. Joining us on site will be one of America's great birders and adventurers, Tim Gallagher. He's the editor of Cornell Lab's Living Bird magazine and author of a number of brilliant books about birds. He has just come back from Cuba, where he was continuing his search for... (coughs) ...the mysterious and long-lost ivory-billed woodpecker. He'll tell us what he found in that search. So that's next Sunday, May 29th, 9.30 to 10 a.m. at L.L. Bean's flagship store in Freeport, Maine. Please come and join us if you can. Admission to the festival and to our broadcast is free. Last week with Mike O'Connor, we talked about the Baltimore Oriole, a beautiful bird you can bring to your backyard in many parts of the U.S. by putting some oh orange halves out there or some dark... Luscious fruit. They'll come for that. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about is why is Oriole an inaccurate name for that bird? Well, it's because it's not really an Oriole at all. Early American settlers called it that because the bird resembles European Oriole. Our bird is not closely related to that species from across the pond. It's really part of a family that includes blackbirds and bobolinks and meadowlarks. And by the way, there's another familiar American bird that is similarly misnamed for a similar reason. We'll meet that bird here in just a few minutes.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
2: Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. A William and Mary professor finds that mercury may be causing great harm to migrating birds. We'll link you to that story. We'll also connect you to the news about how a warming Arctic is making migratory birds smaller. And some good news. We'll connect you to an amazing story and video about a police officer, a wayward balloon and the rescue of a fledgling Canada goose. And if you watch it, listen closely to the police officer's words about why it's never a good idea to release a helium balloon. Some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now, and you can find more stories on our website homepage at TalkingBirds.com. Well, a new friend of ours, Robert Muzzy, a longtime resident and bird lover in the Blue Hills, Milton, Massachusetts, has shared the following backyard bird adventure with us. We'll shorten the story just a little bit. And he says, we have four female and two male hummingbirds zooming around this year in our garden and at three feeders. Yesterday, I took a break from writing and for the first time this year, decided to take a break and sit in our screened-in gazebo. As I approached, a hummer zoomed past me and flew directly into the gazebo screen thinking he could fly straight through, impaling his beak through the mesh and capturing himself firmly. It was one of the males. Furious buzzing of his wings could do nothing to free himself as his beak had penetrated to its full depth. What are the chances I'd happen to decide to drink tea in the gazebo at this exact moment on this exact day? Tiny, but there I was gently grasping his body to restrain his wings. Eventually, I managed to work his long bill free while he squealed in protest with his highest-pitched little voice, then immediately opened my hand to free him. In an instant, he zoomed off at warp speed to his next adventure. Was this the alpha male or the more recessive one? Hard to tell when his energy was captured in the screen and then in my hand. Hummingbirds are meant to fly free. What are the chances? I should drink tea more often. (laughs) Thank you, Robert, for that beautiful story still to come on our show today. Why calling someone a bird brain may not be the insult that you may have thought it was. We'll learn about that with today's special guest, Jennifer Ackerman, author of a new book called The Genius of Birds. We'll also make a Cape Cod connection to our man, Mike O'Connor, in this morning's edition of Let's Ask Mike Live, and we'll learn some Pretty amazing thing, uh, things about the red-bellied woodpecker. And in just a moment, a beautiful but insufficiently appreciated songbird is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Hmm. Let's see, the black-headed thrush. Black-headed thrush. Let me try another field guide. Black-headed nightingale thrush. No, that's a bird that lives in Costa Rica and Guatemala and Panama. Black... Oh, wait a minute. The black-headed thrush. That's the bird that we know as the American robin.
3: red-red robin ba
2: Now, as our there friend no Peter robin Trull in down on Cape Cod says, robin this is bird is not a robin at all. The confusion was caused by those darn Europeans who came here, saw a bird with a rusty red breast, and thought it was a bird they knew back home. But as Peter says, this bird is a thrush, a relative of the wood thrush and the veery, and the bluebird. Yes, that's also a thrush. And Peter's not the only one to complain. Way back in the early 1900s, author Mary Mapes Dodge was among those who said this ubiquitous bird should be called the ruddy-breasted thrush. Either way, the confusion comes because our featured feathered friend bears a resemblance to the European robin. Ironically, that bird was once thought to be a thrush. It's now classified as an old-world flycatcher. We think of robins as the classic harbingers of spring, and they do migrate. But many robins stay on their breeding grounds year-round, off in the woods eating seeds and berries, since your lawn is not providing any earthworms in the cold weather season. Some of the robins we see in southern New England in the winter are from populations that nest way up into Canada. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend, call it the black-headed or the ruddy-breasted thrush, if you like, has a name that's not likely to change. It's the American robin.
3: The red, red robin comes ba ba along.
2: Talkin' Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to help you plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites from Acadia to Zion. Go to Chimani.com, that's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to locate or download, that is, your free app. Today, they'll help you do the locating. Jennifer Ackerman has written extensively on the topics of science and nature and human biology. She's the recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship in Nonfiction and a Bunting Fellowship and a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. And she's the author of a great new book called The Genius of Birds. And she joins us on the phone right now. Good morning, Jennifer.
3: Good morning.
2: Great to have you on here, Jennifer, and we're learning increasingly that birds are a lot smarter than we uh, thought they were, at least years ago, but the title of your book is The Genius of Birds. So why genius?
3: Well, um, in in this book, uh, I, I really define genius as a kind of knack for knowing what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm for catching on in your surroundings or or making sense of things and and figuring out how to solve the problems presented to you whether they're um environmental problems or social challenges and birds really seem to possess this kind of um genius in abundance
2: Mm, kind of a practical genius right well many of us think
3: yep Often it involves doing something innovative or something new. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, birds are, are good at taking advantage of new food sources or, or learning how to exploit them.
2: Right. Well, many of us think of bird skills as pretty instinctive rather than being uh, associated with reasoning. I think of the American bittern, a type of heron that makes itself skinny so it can hide in reed beds. But I've read about experience where they'll place the bird in an open parking lot and it'll do the same behavior uh, kind of a, in a pointless way, but in the book you describe bird behavior that seems to be much more complex, maybe even insightful.
3: That's right. You know, we we did assume that the bird behavior was driven solely by instinct, and and you know the reason being that its brain was so small and we thought mm-hmm. so primitive in its design that it was really capable of only those kind of very simple um, mental processes, but. Um, over the past years, yes, we've come to realize that birds are a lot smarter than we thought, um, and their brains, though, you know, they're arranged differently from ours. They're really capable of very sophisticated, uh, mental skills, problem solving, um, they can, you know, they can think logically and, and reason on par with young children. They have... Incredibly prodigious memories. Um, they craft tools. They learn by example. Um, all of this with a packet of brains so tiny it would fit inside a walnut. And it's, I mean mm. really remarkable.
2: Well, one of those really smart birds you talk about in the book is the New Caledonian Crow. And Jennifer, I wonder if you'd read this little segment about a bird named Blue there on page 63 of your book.
3: I would be delighted. A bird named Blue has a problem. Next to him, on a table, in his aviary, is a plastic tube with a piece of meat tucked inside, just out of reach of his beak. Blue is a New Caledonian crow, a bird known for its masterful tool craftsmanship and keen problem-solving skills. Blue scopes out the situation, hopping around the tube, peering inside, moving his head with quick stop precision. He flutters down to the floor of the aviary and tucks around at various random objects scattered there leaves, tiny twigs, a stray piece of plastic or two, but apparently doesn't find what he's looking for. He flies to a scrubby spray of branches clustered in a pot on the table and perches, cocking his head to the right and then to the left, surveying his options. He picks a twig and snaps it off the bow. Then he methodically snips off all the side twiglets. Now he has a nice, long, straight stick, the right tool for the job. He jabs the stick into the tube, and spears the meat, then polishes it off.
2: Pretty amazing, including the fact that he's cleaning off the stick, making those little edits along there, all those little side twiglets.
3: That's right. I and, mean, you know, these crows are, are really um, famous for their ability to make and use these, these uh, very complex tools, which uh, kind of rival the big primate tool makers like chimps and orangutans.
2: And even with making hooks, right? Is it unique to those crows to to make a hook on a stick?
3: Right. They're the only um, uh, species other than humans to make hook tools. And those are stick tools with a little hook on the end, and they use it to to grab grubs from nooks and crannies in trees and plants. Mm.
2: Well, we think of human learning in terms of sort of aha moments and problem solving when we suddenly get it and, and find a solution. What do we know about birds, uh, maybe even including the New Caledonian crow in this way? Is there evidence that they sort of have these aha moments, or is it really just trial and error that gets them to a solution? Well,
3: scientists are still sorting that out. Um, Mm -hmm. There do seem to be examples of insight, of of aha moments, but it's very hard to tease those apart from Mm -hmm. um, uh, the bird's very sophisticated understanding of cause and effect. So if I do this, then this will happen. And that can be a, um, you know, a more sort of step-by-step process rather than an aha moment. Hmm. But it is also in and of itself a very sophisticated mental skill, that understanding of, of cause and effect. Mm-hmm.
2: And some of the other things that you talk about in the book that are pretty amazing uh, that birds are capable of, facial recognition um, and <laughs> certainly deception and, and other kind of behaviors are, are part of that, but even grieving and maybe empathy?
3: Yes, that's right. I mean, the the social um, uh, behavior of, of birds is quite um, uh, quite sophisticated. Also, there's evidence that birds are are capable of empathy, of consoling one another. Um, you know, ravens seem to respond to the emotional states of other ravens, um, right. especially inmates or allies. And if one bird is the victim of a, of a conflict, the other ravens will console it by preening it or, or twining bills, which is kind of the the bird equivalent of of kissing. <laughs>
2: pretty amazing well as your book uh, illustrates jennifer there's a lot of research into bird intelligence going on certainly a lot still to be learned for sure and as we think of the survival challenges that birds face now including climate change how can we or can we apply some of this knowledge to helping birds survive yes
3: I, i think conservation is is a big issue and you know one of the um the issues that we face is that there are, by we have urbanized our environment so thoroughly that we're really favoring um, bird species that are, that have a certain kind of intelligence. They're very bold and they're flexible and they're eating and foraging habits and they're willing to do, you know, new innovative things like blackbirds and sparrows. And the question is really, you know, are, are we going to settle for, for preserving these birds or do we want to? Preserve the broadest possible swath of the avian tree of life, which is, includes birds that are much more specialized, um, that rely on very particular niches or um, um, kinds of food sources. And you know, I think the the, the answer is that the latter. We really want to um, to try to to really preserve the. the the biggest range of species and we we have got to get cracking on that Mm -hmm.
2: indeed jennifer ackerman is the author of the fascinating and enlightening new book the genius of birds jennifer thank you for the book and thanks for being on with us
3: thank you it's a great pleasure
2: coming up here on talking birds it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute
4: Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from, including the popular fruit and nut, songbird and cardinal, and no-waste patio blends. Human development and climate change are having increasing impacts on wild birds. Feeding the hummers, chickadees, goldfinches, cardinals, and all the beautiful and fascinating birds in your backyard really helps them survive. and thrive. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit audubonpark.com. That's audubonpark.com. Audubon Park wild bird food is made right here in the USA. Get some for your backyard birds today. Audubon Park wild bird food.
2: Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. On our Mystery Bird contest, you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here in the past six months. And if you're not hearing our show live, remember you can do it live, online, every Sunday morning. Just go to talking. Birds.com to see how easy it is to do it. Talkin'Birds.com. No G in talking. 781 837 4900 is the number to call. Please call us as soon as you possibly can. 781 837 4900. Our prize is another of the new line of feeders from Droll Yankees. It's the cute chickadee feeder. Cutest little chickadee feeder for any type of food with a height adjust- adjustable dome on top. This is a beautiful feeder, four and a half inch diameter dish that holds a cup of sunflower seed or mixed fruit uh, or mealworms. And we have a bonus prize today if you're the winner. It's a 12 ounce bag of birds and beans, shade grown, bird friendly coffee. It's great coffee and it really does help birds in the tropics survive. All those birds that we're seeing up north here in the spring and summer. Here's our mystery bird Our bird is a medium-sized passerine or perching bird. The male is very blue in a sky blue kind of way. The female is kind of brownish blue. It has a large round head, a chunky body, and a medium-length tail. Our cavity-nesting bird is commonly seen in the wide-open spaces of the American West, where it feeds mostly on beetles and grasshoppers and especially caterpillars. That would be our mystery bird. What do you think it is? If you know, by all means tell us and we'll reward you with that Droll Yankees feeder and that Birds and Beans coffee. If you're not sure what it is, we'll take a guess. A drawing will determine our winner if no exactly correct answer is received. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to find out something about red-bellied woodpeckers that we didn't know before, that's for sure, when we check uh, check with uh, Mike O'Connor it's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. I'm Ray Brown, and I'm a coffee lover. And the brand that I drink is Birds and Beans, the only brand that sells only bird-friendly coffee, grown in a way that saves the forest that migratory birds depend on for survival. Birds and Beans carries the certification of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, the most stringent shade-grown certification in the world. Plus, it's USDA Organic Certified and Fair Trade Certified, so farmers get fair compensation. Of course, it's important to note that Birds and Beans coffee tastes great, and it's available in your choice of roasts, from American Red Start Light Roast to Deep and Dark Scarlet Tanager French Roast, decaf too. If you care about saving the tropical forest on which so many of our birds depend, and if you love great coffee, there's just one choice, Birds and Beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. It's my choice, and I really hope you'll make it yours. Get the whole Birds and Beans story, including where to buy it, at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Quick reminder, one of America's great birding events is coming soon, the Acadia Birding Festival at beautiful Acadia National Park in Maine, June 1st to June 7th for birders of all levels with field trips, workshops, presentations, and a special pelagic seabird boat trip. Find out more at AcadiaBirdingFestival.com. That's AcadiaBirdingFestival.com. Let's head down to Cape Cod to the... Birdwatcher's General Store, the famous place there at Orleans, Route 6, and Mike O'Connor for Let's Ask Mike Live. Good morning, Mike. There's the music. Oh, the music. Uh, Let's have the music, please. There it is. (laughs) Wow, that was a close one. That was scary. I didn't
0: know. I didn't know who you were talking to for a (laughs) minute.
2: Okay, there it is. The famous Let's Ask Mike music. Well, Mike... um, We were talking earlier, and I was talking about, you know, for folks who live around the Boston area or, I guess, anywhere in southern New England know Mount Auburn Cemetery, a great birding uh, location, especially in the spring. You can't go in there without hearing this sound. That is the red-bellied woodpecker. And uh, this is a bird that eats insects and spiders and stuff like that, and maybe nuts and pine cones and whatnot. But you've uh, you've discovered uh, some other surprising part of this bird's diet.
0: Yeah, it seems to be expanding at that. Uh, like we have a customer who sends us photographs all the time. He emails us photographs. Jeff Seneca up in New York, and he always gets these tremendous dramatic photos of owls catching rabbits, of hawks getting squirrels, and he sent a picture of a red-bellied woodpecker that had caught and was eating a bat, a brown bat, wow. of all things. Mm. Now, you don't think, you think like you said, of uh, woodpeckers eating insects and sometimes su- su- suet in our backyards and, and, and berries, but bats. So mm. I looked it up, and it's not uncommon. They'll also eat um, nestlings sometimes, eat lizards, they pick off frogs. Mm. But I looked it up, and there was a, a guy had written a, a story where he had a bat colony, and every once in a while a red belly would reach up and do the same thing, pluck a bat right out of there and... Mm and start chewing on it, and uh, it was <laughs> actually freaked the guy out, but you've got to remember that bats are, are carnivores. They certainly eat insects, and, and woodpeckers are certainly carnivores. They eat all kinds of whatever they can catch. They're opportunists, and they come along, and if a bat comes along, you, you know, that means he doesn't have to hunt nearly as much that day, because you can make a meal out of that. But mm. who would have thought it? Who knows what else other animals are eating that we don't see, because... We look at a red belly, and he's picking up birdseed at our feeders, a little bit of suet here and there, but a bat—that's pretty good. And the guy has a photograph of it, which even makes it more exciting.
2: Yeah, it just kind of goes to show you—we kind of, you know, we kind of categorize birds as eating this or that, and they—they uh, they do surprise us. That's certainly a an instance of that.
0: Yeah, they wouldn't be around long if they were just specific. You know, they yeah. have to have a variety of things and take advantage of, of what what they can find and. Sometimes, if if you have a camera, you get something exciting going on.
2: I'm thinking of great blue herons because they're an example of a bird that really has thrived while other herons uh, are not doing so well simply because uh, it's a bird that will eat just about anything.
0: There was a guy, um, remember that story last year or two years ago where a weasel had jumped on the back of a woodpecker? Uh,
2: Yes, I remember the pictures.
0: Right, so then somebody had a video or a series of uh, pictures of a weasel attacking a great blue heron. He would lunge at it and the, and the heron would shake it off and lunge at it again. The third time, that the heron just turned around, down the hatchet went, <laughs> grabbed the weasel by the head and swallowed it whole. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so they eat a lot of stuff. So birds have a variety of things. So there you go. There
2: you go. More strange tales yeah. from Orleans, Massachusetts on Cape Cod.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be selling weasels for heron food from now
2: on. <laughs> weasels for heron food. I, I love it. <laughs> Hey, I'll see you next week, Mike.
0: Thanks, Ray. Talk all to you. All right.
2: <laughs> We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest trying to identify this mystery bird right here. Our number is 781 837 4900. 781 837 Our prize is the Droll Yankees new cute chickadee feeder with an adjustable dome and a big dish there that holds all kinds of stuff. And we have a bonus prize 12 ounce bag of birds and beans, shade grown. Bird-friendly coffee. 781 837 4900 A medium-sized passerine or perching bird. The male is very blue in a sky blue kind of way. The female kind of brownish blue. It has a large round head, a chunky body, and a medium-length tail. What is it? 781 837 4900 Charlie is there in Duxbury, Massachusetts. Good morning, Charlie. Hey
0: Ray, how you been? Long time. Have a talk to you.
2: Good to hear from you. What's happening, Charlie?
0: Uh, very quick story. I found an old gift certificate at the General Birdwatching store. About five years old. I went down there and I visited Mike's store. Awesome. Everybody has to visit it. And he honored my gift certificate. Wow. It's more than a bird store. He's such a nice man. Everybody should get down there and see him.
2: Boy, that's a good, that's a good recommendation there. Yes, indeed. Very,
0: very nice ride, very nice trip, and very informative. And the store is beautiful.
2: Just and so you know. So everybody has one of those old certificates in your drawer somewhere.
0: And he honored it. It was about five or six years old. Yep. Doesn't All matter right. how old. It's it could like be 50
2: that. years old. Oh, well, Jesse says it could be 50 years old. It <laughs> would still be honored, even though the store wasn't there 50 years it's
3: ago. Just be- Shows it's a- <laughs> just a beautiful story.
1: <laughs> he had a business plan. He started making gift
2: certificates 40 years before he opened Ah, it. okay. Thank you for the clarification. Uh, how about our, my- our mystery bird, Charlie?
0: I'm going to guess a Curve Build
2: Thrasher. Wow. Curve Build Thrasher. Interesting guess, but uh, not what we're looking for. It's kind of the right part of the country, but not the right I
0: want, bird. I, I
2: want the buzzer. We've got to resurrect the buzzer just for you, Charlie. Always a
0: pleasure. Thank thanks, you, Ray. Love thanks, the show.
2: Thanks so much. We have Andy, I believe, that says they're in Ocean Bluff, Massachusetts. Good morning, Andy. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Doing well. How about you? Uh, good. All right. You heard our clues and such. What do you What do you say? Uh, The Mountain Bluebird. Mountain Bluebird. That sounds like a more than a top-quality guess.
1: Yeah, (laughs) nice job. Thank you.
2: Beautifully done. Uh, Have you uh, been out in that part of the country and seen this bird, or you just got it from the clues? I got it from the
0: clues.
2: All right. Mountain Bluebird. The bird that, uh, in nesting, all of it's done by the female. I've read that the male sometimes acts as if he's helping, but either brings no nest material... Or drops it along the way. See, yes. birds have a lot in common with humans, don't they?
0: Yeah, I guess my wife would say that's <laughs> typical.
2: <laughs> Andy, thank you. Congratulations. Stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that uh, droll Yankees feeder. Uh, okay. Thank you, Ray. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. The mountain bluebird, our mystery bird. We are out of time. A reminder, we'll broadcast our show live from the second annual L.L. Bean Birding Festival, presented in partnership with Maine Audubon at the L.L. Bean flagship store in Freeport, Maine, next Sunday, May 29th, 9.30 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Admission to the broadcast and festival free, so please come and join us there. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield, associate producer, Debbie Bleacher, our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week.
1: And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.